in a crude laboratory in the basement of his home. Welcome to the Tech Today podcast powered by CEO Raider. It's your host, John Mayetta. Hope you all had a happy new year. We haven't been with you in, in a while and wanted to catch up on a bit about what's going on out there in the in the markets, some of the content that we've published. I think since we've last spoke, we published a number of, of free articles. We had a, a premium article that went out around property technology, our prop tech, where we provided our, our outlook for the year, as well as a landscape of, of 81 companies, public and private, mostly private companies. And that's still, that's still available at Tech Today. I published a piece around how technology companies typically evolve in a marketplace as it relates to market acceptance, you know, just sort of the general process of breaking through to customers. And I was thinking primarily of, of enterprise software companies, the, the space I grew up in. And I won't go into great detail here because you can, you can read about it, but I created a, a three-stage process, which you can read about across a few brief paragraphs. And we also visually depicted it. In a, in a series of charts. And so if you're thinking through market evolution, market adoption, you know, if you're writing a, a research piece or thinking through a, a particular industry vertical, a, a newer space, and you're kind of thinking about what evolution may look like, I don't have a lot of empirical data. This piece was based more on, on my experience covering software companies over the past 20-some odd years. In addition to that piece, which is entitled Three Stages of Market Awareness, we published our 2019 Technology CEOs of the Year. And I won't go into great detail around that. You can, you can read about that as well. I just tell you, rather than pick a, a, a single technology CEO of the year, we, we selected five. For as critical as we are about certain CEOs and, and boards and such, there are a number of really high quality CEOs out there in the public markets. And so what we did for technology, we took kind of five sectors, we looked at property technology or prop tech. We looked at fintech, both fintech payments and then fintech capital markets and asset management. Those are two different sides of the fintech sector. We looked at platform companies. Those would be the big you know, enterprise technology companies like Microsoft, for example. And then we looked at information services, that sector. And for each of those five, we, we selected a top CEO quote-unquote, the best CEO of the year. And we contemplated quantitative metrics such as total stock return, ROIC, EBITDA growth, operating cash flow growth. We also factored in some of the different qualitative elements that we use to rate CEOs. For example, demonstrated ability to effectively execute accretive acquisitions, demonstrated ability to leverage a decentralized operating model, demonstrated ability to meet or beat short-term investor expectations while investing in the long term and enhancing competitive positioning, extending the competitive moat. There may have been some other elements that we used. Those were the key ones. Some of you that follow the podcast may be aware that we ran a, an experiment this year where we created a fund, not an investable fund. It was a, a, a proxy. So we selected a handful of companies. I believe the final number was a dozen. I believe they were all software companies. And the idea was to select this basket of technology companies that we could theoretically hold for the next decade or so. So a long-term fund, low turnover. And for the year, the CEO rate of mock portfolio generated a return of 45% versus 31% for the benchmark. We used the S&P North American 
expanded technology software index as the benchmark. It, it too was an equal weight software index. So I, I felt that was the best proxy to use as a, as a bench. And then the last piece that I wanted to talk about, it's a, a little bit of a victory lap. It's around Accenture. And we wrote back in July here at Tech Today, we published a piece entitled Accenture is preparing to double down on M&A. We share our ideas for likely target areas and what prompted us to write that piece was that in July of 2019, Julie Sweet was named Accenture CEO, and that became effective in September of 2019. And Julie Sweet, if you looked at her, her background, I used to cover the company formally. I, I don't know her. I don't recall if she was at the company. When I covered them, I covered Accenture formally from, let's see, 2004 to maybe 2009, 2010, thereabouts. And I don't recall her being a member of the of the senior team. But if you look at her background, it's primarily in M&A. She's a, a corp dev lawyer. So it seemed clear to me at the time that the board named her CEO because the board felt that M&A was going to be critical to Accenture's strategy going forward. That was my assumption. That still is my assumption, that M&A will be core to Accenture's strategy going forward, which is very a very different approach to Accenture historically and to the IT services industry historically. Historically, the IT services companies have not wanted to do splashy M&A deals, large M&A deals, particularly around technology. Not so much an IT services company acquiring another IT services company. That was fairly common, but to see an IT services company acquire a technology company, to acquire a software company, as Accenture did earlier this week when it acquired Broadcom's enterprise security unit that it had acquired from Symantec. If you recall earlier this year, Broadcom acquired Symantec, and a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, Broadcom announced that they would sell off the enterprise security piece of that of Symantec's business. I think Apple is rumored as a potential buyer, and Accenture ended up acquiring this this business. And a number of years ago, the IT services companies would have been hesitant to do so because what they would tell you is we, we don't want to compete with our partners. Because these large IT services companies partner with seemingly every software company, technology company under the sun. So they don't want to compete with, with their partners. The first time I heard that was, I think it was 2004. I attended a an analyst day for Accenture. Bill Green was their CEO at the time. And it was a breakfast prior to the analyst day. And Accenture had only been public for several years. I want to say at the time they had maybe a 15 or $20 billion market cap. Today it's north of $130 billion. And I was, at the time, maybe a year or so into that job, which was my first job on the sell side. And I hadn't met Bill Green and I remember I sat down at a breakfast table in this hotel, and I was the, the first one to sit at the table, at this particular table. All the other tables were full, so I was having breakfast by myself. And then who sits next to me? Bill Green, who at the time was CEO. I don't recall if he was chairman as well at that moment in time. And I introduced myself, and the one thing I had in common was uh, Bill Green and myself were uh, graduates of Babson College. And I mentioned that to him, and then right away I went into acquisitions. And I said, what's the likelihood of, or what's Accenture's strategy, Bill, around M&A? And he, I don't recall the exact words, but he said, you know, we'd be hesitant to acquire a software company 
for fear of competing with our partners. And this was the same event, by the way, where he had the, the, the famous line that he told me at the table, and I think by the time he, he said it at the table, there were a bunch of other analysts that had gathered at the table. Once he sat down, it very quickly went from he and I to you know, a bunch of folks, because everybody wants to hear what the CEO has to say. And that line was, you know, we invest, the way we approach capital allocation investing at Accenture is to have one foot in today, meaning be competitive in the market today, make sure we meet our beat analyst expectations, that type of thing. So have one foot in today and then one foot in tomorrow. Be thinking about what technologies and processes are going to be relevant in the marketplace, you know, as we look ahead a few years. And I thought that was a great approach to, to leading a, a public company. And so fast forward to 2019, 2020, and here we are in Julie's suite, uh, leads this this effort to acquire Symantec's enterprise security business. And as luck would have it, enterprise security, cybersecurity, was one of the, the sectors that we wrote about back in July when Julie Sweet was named CEO. One of the sectors where I thought Accenture would be active from an M&A standpoint. If Julie Sweet's going to be CEO, that means Accenture is focused on M&A. Here are the areas where we think Accenture will, will focus on. And so he said, before we talk about sort of sectors, we think Accenture will focus on larger deals. That was the case with this, this acquisition of, of Symantec's enterprise group. And then in terms of the different sort of technology segments, we called attention to cloud services. We called attention to advanced analytics that includes artificial intelligence. We highlighted info services, fintech, and cybersecurity. And I won't read the note to you, but you can, you can read the note and we, we call attention to those spaces, to specific companies. And we had an accompanying podcast episode that went with it. And that was published on July 14th, 2019. And then we published a, a short follow-up article to that piece several days ago, where we referenced Accenture's acquisition. And then we highlighted a couple of other areas. So within cloud computing, one of the things that we highlighted is whether it be Accenture or just strategic acquirers in general. We think that in the cloud com computing space, you're going to see more demand for vertical-specific acquisitions. And we called out healthcare IT and prop tech as an example. So companies that, that are cloud-based, i.e. software as a service or SaaS is what it was called, you know, 10 years ago. Same difference. Cloud-based companies that focus on a particular vertical or verticals. Maybe it's two or three verticals that a particular company plays in. And the reason why we believe acquirers will focus there is we think that a number of companies are becoming more strategic about their, their M&A process. And as you've heard us say in this podcast before, when a company is, is focused in their approach to building out their software platform, when they're focused on a particular vertical or maybe a couple of verticals, they enjoy economies of skill that they would not enjoy were they to pursue you know 10 or 12 different customer market simultaneously. It's, it's easier to build deep domain expertise, vertical expertise, when you're focused on one or two verticals. And that typically leads to better pricing, uh, longer-term customer relationships, you know, i.e. stickiness, you know, renewal rates, customer renewal rates that may be in the mid to high 90s because you're the best game in town uh, versus a company that's diffuse in its approach to customer markets. You know, when you focus on a particular market, you typically innovate. You're more productive in, in your, the innovations that you, you, you bring to market. The velocity, the innovation wheel, the velocity of the innovation wheel is, is faster when you're focused on a, a particular vertical. And so it's, 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 it's oftentimes better for the companies 
the software companies themselves to take that verticalized approach to to a market. And in other cases, it's it's it, it's it's not right. If you're if you're if you're Microsoft Azure, Amazon's AWS business unit, GCP at Google, you know, in those cases where you're providing the cloud platform for companies to build on top of, then you want to make your your platform available to all industries theoretically. But if we're talking about cloud computing, enterprise software, and the you know the application layer. It's good to have, I believe, some vertical specificity. And we think strategic acquirers are sort of catching on to this. So verticalized cloud assets, we think they're going to be in high demand from an M&A standpoint in 2020 and for the foreseeable future. So it's not just the, the 2020 outlook piece, but for the foreseeable future. AI and advanced analytics, it's another space that, that we highlighted earlier this week to, to uh, follow up on our July piece. And that encompasses everything from, from data prep to visualization to machine learning, broadly defined AI, conversational AI, natural language processing or NLP. We wrote earlier in, in 2019, I can't remember when, I want to say in the first quarter or the first half, let's say, we wrote, wrote a piece and I, I'm pretty sure I spoke about it on this podcast where I declared that AI is going to be like electricity. And that it's just going to be embedded in all applications in the future. Because you no longer have to have your own AI team per se. You don't have to reinvent the wheel per se. You can build your stack, your AI capability on top of Azure, for example, which has embedded AI capability. Or Google, GCP, or AWS. And you know how we feel about those three companies. They all do a, a, a great job. And we continue to look to view Google as the, the AI leader. So... Given that AI is going to be like uh, a lifeblood or electricity for all applications, there's going to be a fair amount of demand for for people that have a skill set around AI. And we've already seen this with a number of companies where they've had difficulty scaling their AI efforts because because of the fact that it, it takes people. It takes people to prepare data. It takes people to build the models. It takes people to refine the models. So the whole building, training, refining, recalibration process, that's still people intensive. And so you'll see, I believe, in the AI space, aqua hires as much as companies out looking for revenue, right? They want the talent as much as they want the, the revenue in, in this case. Fintech information services, the two spaces that I used to cover, they continue to be highly fragmented. There are a lot of good companies out there, public and private. I'm thinking mostly of of, uh, of of private companies where they have a nice, they've established a nice little niche. They have a fair amount of recurring revenue. They're profitable. Those companies are going to continue to get picked off. And then the last one we talked about, which we didn't talk about in, in July, was was chip design. And you know, because of the cloud, we've seen companies like Google design their own chips, design their own architecture, like their TPU effort. And so as the cloud gets more strategic because you're doing more processing in the cloud, you're offering advanced services like AI in the cloud, uh, doing more at the edge of the network. In Google's case, you're doing a ton on device, as we wrote about back in, I think it was May of 2019, at their I.O. conference. This requires more and more sophisticated uh, chip architecture. And the large companies, you know, Apple's another one, they're doing more and more of their own design. You know, the, the chip design is becoming a competitive differentiator. And you're also seeing companies, you know, a, a cottage industry of, of startup chip companies. You know, the the formal team at Google that developed version one of their of their TPU architecture started a company in the Bay Area called Grok, G-R-O-Q. 
I think Rock was founded in 2018. We highlight it in this particular article that we wrote earlier in the week. There are a number of other companies out there like Grok, and I think you're going to see more of them spring up. So with chip architecture, advanced architecture that serves AI and the like, advanced analytics, as some of these startups gain traction and as word of mouth travels around the Bay Area and elsewhere where these companies exist, as word of mouth travels as to which of these companies are really maybe doing something that's special, you're going to start to see them get, get picked off. And there's always been a fair amount of, of M&A in the chip space. I didn't formally cover the space, but you just, you, you know, you're sort of aware of what's going on in, in the industry because it, it does have an impact on what goes on in software, what goes on in mobile, obviously. But I think that level of M&A is about to pick up. I think there's going to be an uptick. And we've seen some of the large deals that have been announced recently, but I, th- I think most of the activity will be with some of these smaller startups that are doing interesting stuff like Grok. So that was a follow-up piece that we published coming off of the news that Accenture was to acquire that cybersecurity unit from Broadcom. And that article is entitled, One M&A Prophecy Fulfilled, More to Come. And I will say the same to you now. That's all for now. More to come. See you all next time.